you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning, Movement Church. You look great. You sound great. It's awesome to be here. My name is Carrie. For those of you that are new with us, I am one of the pastors. You got to see my beautiful wife was up here a moment ago. We have the privilege of leading this great church. We're some of the pastors on the team. But I got to just tell you, I love this church. And yeah, I really do. Not, not the building. You know, the great news is the city of Laguna Hills built this building for us. They've got a great deal with us. Uh, for literally, we get to use this for the church. We just have to tear down and let them use it as a school during the week, but then we get the use on Sunday. So I'm grateful, but what makes this church awesome, and the reason that I love it is because you're here, and I just love being your pastor. In fact, seven and a half years ago, when my wife and I moved here to start the church, this is the church we dreamed of being a part of, and you make it that way because you're so freaking awesome. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're so freaking awesome. Turn to your second choice say, you know, you're, you too. You too. Man, I'm excited. I want to share some thoughts with you today. We're in the week one of a brand new series called Exchange. Everyone say exchange. Say it with some passion. Say exchange. But I got to tell you two quick things before we do that. In two weeks, we are making a minor pivot as a church, and we will be entering from the east entrance of the school. Normally, we come up on this side, but we'll be entering in from that side, and no big deal. Not very many things else are changing. The restrooms will be different, but you'll be okay. We'll have signs and everything. And the reason is we've got more sporting events coming up, and we want to make sure and create as many parking spaces for you and for people who have not even yet attended so that their, their uh, entrance and access to the church is as easy as possible. So in two weeks, a brand new entrance, say brand new entrance. It's going to be awesome. And I'll tell you what, if you want information and want to know how to stay in the know, then you need to download our brand new app. If you have not, yeah, it is amazing. You can text the word app to the number on the screen to get that on any mobile device. Uh, we prefer uh, Apple phones here. If you have anything else, we're praying for you. We'll think about letting you stay. Flip phones, you cannot have an app. I apologize, and we're really praying for your salvation. But download the app. There's some awesome things in there, one of which will be all of our podcasts will be there. Uh, when we go YouTube in the later on this year, our videos will be on the in the app as well. You can take notes along with our sermon in the app. There's actual fill in the blanks. But the coolest thing, one of the things I love is our reading plan is in there. So you can read along with myself, my wife, our pastoral team. I uh, see what we're reading throughout the week and it's an easy access to you version. So check it out. It'll be worth it. Everybody say, okay, Pastor Kerry. Well, I, I want to dive into today. I've got a lot to unpack. We're, we're doing a series different than we normally do. This is an exegetical series, Movement Church style, and uh, we're unpacking the book of Romans. Now, if you're new to church, you may not be aware of the book of Romans, and that's okay. We'll, we'll help unpack it for you. But the book of Romans is considered the great Christian manifesto. And one of the apostles named Paul, one of the chief writers of the New Testament, this was his greatest writing. It contains these huge theological revelations of God's nature and plan for salvation, but Paul's desire in writing it was that you and I, as Christ followers, would grow in spiritual maturity. Now, if you're here and you're not sure what it is that you believe permission to belong, 
before you believe. But if you're here and you say, I'm a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then this book is the foundation of faith. And, and Paul wrote it so that you, not the person who brought you or the person you're seated next to you, but you would grow in spiritual maturity. And so today as we kick this series off, I felt it important that, that we unpack the reason why Paul wrote Romans. And we read it in the first chapter, verse 14, and he really kind of lays it out there in the very beginning of his letter to the church in Rome. Now, historians believe this was written somewhere between 50 and 65 AD. So this is a few years after Jesus is gone. And he's writing to the church in Rome, which oddly has a lot of similar characteristics to the church in Orange County. Look at what he says in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Verse 15, he says, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given by God. Paul's saying, hey, you're awesome. And I love what God is doing in and through you, but I want to remind you of some pretty important things. It's as if Paul knew that you and I and the church in Rome would struggle with staying consistent in our faith. That we would struggle with slipping back into old habits and ways of life. And Paul is saying, hey, you're doing awesome. I just want to remind you that there's a big, full life that God has planned for you. So I want to pray as we dive into our sermon today. And my prayer and encouragement for you is this. I want to remind you of who you are. That you're called and chosen by God with a great future, with a great purpose. And I want to invite you to lean into the sermon today because as is usual per God, he never forces himself on us. He's always just saying, hey, if you'll just have an expectation, then I can do something miraculous. So what if we open our hearts and our ears to the possibility of what God can and wants to do? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? God, I just thank you that you're here. For those that are seated in this room, those that are online and listening, those that are in our family room, God, I just thank you that you're up to something big, but I also know that it's up to us to lean into the fullness of what you have for us. So God, today we open our hearts and our minds to you and everything that you wanna do. We give you permission to rearrange the proverbial furniture of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, let's just kind of jump into this thing. What, what's really cool about this book, Romans, is Paul, he wants to come in and hit on and teach on theology. He wants to come in and talk about what Jesus did and why it matters to us as followers of Christ, but he can't. He has to deal with this pastoral issue. There is a major battle waging within the church. Not just persecution, but people in the church are having a problem. So Paul has to push pause on what he wants to say and do and deal with some pastoral issues. And you know what's so crazy? The thing that they're arguing about is mind-blowing. It is absolutely insane. They're arguing about what kinds of food you can eat. 
It sounds absolutely petty, but I think if you lean in for a few moments, you might find that our lives often align with the same people in the church in Rome. But before I go into that, I need to kind of unpack some history. Can we do that? Can we go a couple thousand years back? I want to present to you the history of the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And what you need to know is this. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God leans into a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham... I'm going to make you my people. You're going to have a family that will be my people. He said, actually, I will set you apart. And from your lineage, I will bring the Savior of all humanity. And I will give you a promised land. So God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I'll set you apart. And one of the things that he said it will set you apart is the food that you are permitted to eat versus the food you're not permitted to eat. He said, here is how and where you will worship. A big one, we'll come back to this later on, and it's an awkward topic on Sunday morning, but a big differentiating factor for what set them apart was circumcision. We're going to come back to that later. That's an awkward topic, but we'll we'll deal with it. So he said, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make sure you are my people. Then God gives them the law. He says, here are the commandments. This is the way to live. But what his people, the Hebrews, did is they said it's not quite enough. They kept adjusting and adding to it. And listen to me, friends. The human condition says what God says isn't enough. The human condition says what God says isn't enough. So now, thousands of years later, Paul's addressing this again in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thousands of years earlier, God gives his people commandments. He gives them the Ten Commandments, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and then 603 additional for a total of 613 commandments saying, this is the way to live. But the religious leaders of the time added thousands of additional laws and stipulations to what God had already given them. It was insane. Let me give you some examples. One of the chief commandments, you've probably heard of it, is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Meaning that Jews were not permitted to work on Sabbath, okay? But what they did, the religious leaders created 39 categories of what work means. And within the 39 categories were many subcategories. So there were thousands of rules regarding not working on the Sabbath. Let me give you an example. They said carrying a stack of paper is work, but you may need to write some things down like a honey-do list so you can carry a piece of paper. To carry a jug of water, well, that's getting preparation preparation for the week. You can't carry a jug of water, but you can carry a glass of water because you do need to drink. They even had stipulations as to the number of steps that one could take on a Sabbath. If you took too many, you were breaking the commandment. It was the reversal of the Fitbit thousands and thousands of years ago. I mean, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, just the things that they added to what God said, and yet we do this all the time. God said that sex is reserved for the marriage bed, but humanity says sex is reserved for when and where and how I want it. Humanity said that's archaic and old-fashioned and out of date. Got really quiet in this church this morning. 
God says, bring the whole tithe, 10%. Humanity said, God obviously never lived in Orange County. 10%. Are you kidding me? God says, be obedient even when it hurts. And humanity says, I'll be obedient when it's convenient. Humanity and our condition says what God says isn't enough. So we take what he says and we mold it and we shape it into what we want and need. But you and I don't get to add to the principles that God has given. We don't even get to choose which principles are for us. And the New Testament Jews in the church in Rome, they were great at this, at overcomplicating and unintentionally diluting God's plan. And we still do that today. I grew up in an environment that was extremely legalistic. I couldn't listen to certain music, watch certain movies, couldn't go to dances. It was like footloose, legit. <laughs> and it was all done from a great motivation with the hope and a heart to, to keep me away from poor choices, that baggage I'd carry with me, with, with me for life. But it was a stipulation added to what God has. But there are also people who simultaneously dilute what God says and says, this principle's for me, God, but not that one. Well, I don't want to follow you if it hurts or it's painful or it's sacrificial. I'll follow you when it makes sense to me. And the Jews in the church in Rome had become professionals at setting up boundaries. And in addition to that, they were keeping anyone out who did not follow these laws. Building up walls. So we have Jews and everyone else were called Gentiles. But Jesus changed the narrative. Jesus, over and over again through Scripture, he tore down the walls that other people built up. His longest recorded conversation with an individual was with a Samaritan woman who would have been considered a Gentile. There was once a man who came to him asking for a miracle for his servant, and this man was a centurion, a Roman guard, who was a Gentile. And Jesus said, sure, I'll heal your servant. And the centurion said, no, no, you don't even have to come to my house. I know who you are. I know the authority you have. If you just speak the words, I know she'll be healed. And Jesus responded in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you the truth. With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west, Gentiles, and recline at the table with Abraham the one I established my covenant with, and Isaac and Jacob and the kingdom of heaven. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a centurion, a Roman guard. He shows up at the door and begins to speak, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit showed up, and the entire house was saved. It was the first conversion of a Gentile into Christianity. That's what Jesus does. He helps people find life in him, and he tears down walls. So now we find the church in Rome full of two different groups of people with different backgrounds under the same banner of faith in Jesus. This is beautiful. What could possibly go wrong? So let's catch back up with Paul's writing and the sociological temperature of Rome. Let me give you a timeline. 
139 BC, 139 years before Christ was born, the emperor kicked the Jews out of Rome because they were being too militant in their conversion. See, the Romans were very passive when it came to their faith. They said, first, we, we're going to worship the emperor. After that, you do you. It's fine. Just don't be pushy with your faith. Does that sound familiar with the community and the culture that we live in? So in 139 BC, they kicked the Jews out of Rome for being too militant with their faith. So fast forward 139 years, Jesus is born. In 19 AD, 19 years after Jesus is born, Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, kicks the Jews out again for being too militant with their faith. Then after a few years, he allows the Jews back into Rome. Jesus shows up on the scene, lives an amazing life, does signs and wonders, preaches amazing messages, gives his life for the sins of all humanity, is buried, raised from the dead, and said, hey, get ready because the Holy Spirit's coming and I'm going to establish my church. The day of Pentecost takes place. We read about this in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit shows up with 120 people gathered for a prayer meeting. They run outside and thousands upon thousands of people had gathered around from all different countries because they had been expelled from Rome. Jesus, Peter preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. And then the emperor says, you can come on back. The Jews go back to Rome and establish the church. They're living a new life. They have new salvation in Jesus, a fresh start, a new beginning. And you know what they do with this all new excitement and God awakening things in their life? They do what all of us do. They go right back to living the way that they lived before. They go right back to following Jewish rituals and religious rites. And that, my friends, is the human condition. The human condition does what it's always done. The human condition does what it's always done. Paul addresses this in verse 22, but we start with verse 21. He said, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to them, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged. Everyone say exchanged. Say it like you mean it. Say exchanged. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they said, God, sometimes you're too difficult for us to comprehend. We will pursue and worship what feels right to us. This is the human condition. How many of you in here are pet people? Raise your hand. You have some pets. I am too by proxy of marriage. I was not raised with a pet. I had a gerbil once, and it died, and that was the end. Then I got married, and she said, we're having pets. So then we had kids. Those weren't good enough, so we had to get pets. And I have an 85-pound black Labrador retriever, and 50% of my heart loves her, and 50% of my heart hates her. Anybody have a lab? Well, not too long ago, my daughter, who is 10, her name is Avery. She is made up of unicorns and confetti. She's amazing. She got this idea. I want to do some baking, which is exciting and simultaneously terrifying. So we let her bake, and she made these amazing cookies, we think, and she put them on a cooling rack and put them on the counter. Y'all know where this story is going? And that dumb dog, 
I don't even know how, like put her head on the side of the counter, got the cooling rack and ate every single cookie and broke and shattered the heart of my 10-year-old daughter. And this would have been heart-wrenching and just devastating if this was the first time it had happened. (laughs) It wasn't the first. Wasn't even the second, wasn't the sixth or the sixteenth. I can't even tell you how many times that stupid dog has eaten things. It don't all her, all me. An entire loaf of bread, an entire package of Oreo cookies, pounds of raw beef. She should be dead. She ate an entire container of Trader Joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups and survived. She probably is the cure for the coronavirus. I'm convinced of it. One day she ate an entire package of Hershey's Kisses with the aluminum foil and wheezed like this for two weeks. And survived. That dumb dog, if left on her own, she naturally does what she is. She's a dog. She has destructive tendencies. She is filled with the canine condition, and it seems so frustrating and silly, and yet you and I behave the same way. We repeatedly choose destructive patterns. We regret it. We confess it. We change, and then we drift, and we repeat. Proverbs related to humanity and the sin condition like a dog who returns to its vomit. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It's the human condition to do what it's always done. We want the benefits that God offers, but we don't want to be obedient to his principles. We say, okay, God, when it's convenient and when it makes me feel good, I'll follow and obey. But the moment you tell me to do something I don't want to do, I ain't got time for it. And then what happens inevitably is life's chaotic potholes show up. And then we get angry at God, like, well, I thought you were faithful. And he's like, oh, I thought you just wanted to do you, boo-boo. I still love you with my whole heart, but you just decided to do what you wanted to do. So I let you. The human condition does what it's always done. And then we question God's faithfulness. So if you're here and you're trapped in the human condition, let me just pause and say identify it, surrender it so that God can redeem it. I need to move on for the sake of time today, but I know that many of us are trapped in the human condition. We've allowed ourselves to become prisoners to the human condition. So let's go back to our timeline. 139 B.C., the Jews are kicked out of Rome. And then again in 19 A.D., Jesus does his thing, changes the world. The church is established. Jews go back to Rome and begin a church. And then in 49 A.D., Claudius kicks the Jews out again. This is the third time in less than 100 years. Anti-Semitism is rampant in Rome. And before 49 AD, the church in Rome, before the expulsion, was full of Jewish 
traditions and customs because they went back to doing what they'd always done. Then Claudius kicks out the Jews and the Jewish customs and rituals begin to fade. And now it looks more like Gentiles who are in the church. Well, a new emperor, a kinder emperor shows up on the scene and he allows the Jews back into Rome. So naturally they now go back to their church, but they find the church full of Gentile customs and Jewish customs are gone and they lose their mind. You see, the New Testament church looked a little bit different than it does today. They would gather together in homes, eat an awesome meal, share communion, worship, and there'd be some teachings, and God would do awesome stuff. And remember, being a Jew centered around what foods they could or could not eat. They could not drink Roman wine because it was not kosher. They had to observe holidays that were very specific. And let's not forget about circumcision. We'll talk about that later. So they come back to the church and they're like, what is happening? What are you doing? And now the church at Rome can't do church because they can't eat the same food. And it's just like the human condition which places conditions on salvation. The human condition always has and always will be challenged with placing conditions on salvation. And the reason is because you and I, we don't fully understand unconditional love. We want to, and we want to believe that you complete me, and I love you with my whole heart, but we don't fully understand it because the humanity, we, we look at love in the context as a commodity to be traded. We, we don't understand or feel, uh, we don't understand the, the concept of grace. We feel we have to earn grace, which Jesus has freely given, but we feel like we have to earn it. And I know that's true because there's some of you in this room right now who did not want to come to church today because you didn't feel like you deserve being here. Every Sunday it happens because we don't understand the unconditional love of Jesus. Why? Because we've experienced betrayal. Even with the people who love us the most, when they betray us, it's nearly impossible to look at them the same. Only through the lens of Christ can we actually do that. Why? Because for humanity, actions make us feel loved. And a lack thereof make us feel neglected. And so what we do is we place this commodity value onto the heart of God. And we assume that he can love other people who have their act together, know more about church and read the Bible more, but he couldn't do that for me. I've got to earn my way into his good graces. Their entire faith system centered around the necessity for confession where once you have confessed, you are then given penance of how many times you are to pray and what steps you are to take to get back into the good graces of God, but they got it all wrong. God could not possibly love you more than he does right now. And with the next breath that you take, it's like his love for you grows even more. But we place conditions on it. The Jews come back onto the scene and they show up at the church and they are freaking out. You can't eat bacon? And the Gentiles are like, have you ever had a burger with bacon on it? You're nuts. You're not circumcised? What? By the way, that's in next steps today. We'll talk about it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They freak out over the rituals and rites that they added to what God wanted to do. And Paul loses his mind. Caught up in the semantics of 
politics and opinions and persuasions and missing the fact that outside the doors of the home where they were gathering were thousands upon thousands of people who desperately needed to hear about Jesus. Paul goes off on them. He wants to talk about saving faith and practical faith. And in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Look, as the band is joining him on the stage, to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation of God. What's that word? To, let's say that again. One more time. Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Everyone who believes. The Jew first and then the Greek. This is Paul, the same writer who said that all are saved by grace through faith. Jew and Gentile, man, woman, slave or free, everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The human condition says what God says isn't enough. The human condition does what it's always done. And the human condition places conditions on salvation. But let me tell you about the God condition. The God condition gives grace freely. Grace is unmerited favor, which means it doesn't matter how jacked up you are. God still loves you all the more. He unifies, which means he takes us and assembles us as a family regardless of our race, ethnicity, creed, background, heritage. It doesn't matter. And then he redeems everyone. The word redeems means to restore you to your original intent. So God says, my grace is for you. I've got a family you get to connect with. And I'm gonna do something in you you would have never thought possible. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I wonder where the human condition has crept into your life. I, wa- I wonder where you have begun to add things to God's heart and plan for you. I wonder where you have subtracted things and said, well, I don't really need that, God. I'll just take this. I wonder where in your life you have slipped back into the things and the lifestyles and the habits that you've always walked in. I wonder what stipulations and conditions you might be placing on God's heart towards you. I just want to take a moment in the closing moments of our service to give us an opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit to lean in and show us where the human condition is large and in charge in our life. And maybe take a moment to repent, to shift our focus back to who God is. So he can do a work in and through us. Would you do me a favor? Would you just quietly stand to your feet? In a moment, we're going to sing a song. It talks about the goodness of the salvation of God. But I would ask that right now, you just do me a favor and bow your heads and close your eyes. 
Take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show you, God, God, where have I allowed the human condition to win in my life? God, we just thank you that you're up to something big in this place. We thank you for the salvation that comes only through your son, Jesus. And now, God, we lean into the fullness of all that you want to say and do. Show us, God, the things we need to change and rearrange in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Maybe you're the one that walked in saying, you don't know my past. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've walked through. I don't deserve the grace that God has given. Well, you're here today because you need to be reminded, like Paul said, that God is for you. There's a starting point, though. And the good news is I'm not talking about being a member of our church. I'm not talking about getting rid of your past, just choosing to believe that God is who he says he is. He has great plans for you by beginning the journey with Jesus. And if that's you, you've never begun that journey. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do just that with no embarrassment, but right where you're standing. And there are some of you in this room who may have begun a journey with Jesus, but you've been running from God and you need to stop it. Today's the day to come running back. I want to challenge you to make this decision today as well. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If that's you, you're here and you've never begun the journey with Jesus, or today is the day to come running back, I want you to make this prayer that I pray your own. In a quiet whisper of the smallness of your heart, would you just say, Dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. Thank you for your grace that is for me. Would you forgive me? And make this statement your own. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.